We're live. On right. Come chat with us. Idiots. I don't think you should be insulting people. I don't think you should be people. Does that make any sense? It does. It makes sense. It does. All right. Oh, we're live. We, are, we are live. Okay, live. ready to kick off? I was ready to kick off at eight, which is actually, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. All right, here we go. Ready to go? Yeah, you go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all of you podcast listeners around this flat world of ours, hello and welcome back to another episode of War for Idiots. As always, we are your hosts. My name is Rich the Clod. And I am Mick, the scrolling up on my show notes chump. <laughs> and we are indeed the idiots that you have been looking for. And today we have the absolute pleasure of doing a movie review of this little Australian gem called Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan. I can't tell you, Mick, how excited I am to do a review of this movie. What a great oh. episode. This is going to be a lot of fun. Now, before we start, um, something I had to tell you, um, my, one of our biggest fans is my uh, amazing little mother who's up there in Queensland, and she awesome. finally figured out how to watch this on YouTube, uh, which a lot of people have done. Hey, and mom. She, and she uh, has told me this joke about 30 times in last week and wants me to mention tonight that instead of calling you Mick and calling me Rich, she wants to call you the bearded and me the bold. She's like, you should call your show the bearded yeah. and the bold. The beard and the bold or the bold and the bearded. The bald and the bearded. She thinks it's the funniest thing ever. Actually, um, it was, I like that. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. So well done, mum. That was very clever. Um, but uh, as well as my mother, we would like to also she's think- pretty, She's pretty funny. She's a pretty funny lady. You must take after um, your dad. Very funny, very funny. Now, <laughs> as well as my mother, we'd like to thank all the other mums, dads, boys and girls, uh, whoever you are out there who continue to keep on supporting us and growing the support. We are overwhelmed and humbled by how much uh, attention and love and discussion and debate and analysis that we're getting, um, but you, we can always do more. So what you need to do, dear listeners, is please, if you enjoy this podcast, continue to tell your friends, share some of our stuff on social, get more people listening, uh, but most importantly, get more people part of the discussion because what we want to do is we want to spread the word. We do not want to spread COVID. And speaking of, speaking of COVID... Mick, I never get a good answer for you for this question, but how is your COVID going? Mate, I was, uh, I was sick today, so my COVID might actually be going. It's actually going really good. Um, good no, man, uh, I am good. Um, but I was like, what am I going to say? Because I never say anything good during this COVID stuff. But I decided to take this time to just catch up on two things for our listeners out there. Okay. Um, so everyone's watching what's happening in the States. And uh, last week, Rich and I talked about uh, comparing the differences that some of the Western nations are using their militaries in emergency situations like uh, pandemic um, in the UK and Australia and also the call-outs that were happening in the US. Now, if you've seen how the week's gone in the US, I think you'll agree, uh, Rich and I are not the people whose hot take you want. We are no, nowhere no. near experts in this. So we're not actually going to do that this season. Uh, ladies and gents, we're actually who I would suggest is a jump on Twitter, follow uh, people like Risa Brooks, uh, Jim Golby, Corey Sharkey, uh, Pauline Shanks, Corinne. Find the experts and listen to the experts. Uh, and we're no by no means experts in that area. And also, uh, naturally, I got myself into a gun control debate uh, with some Americans last night uh, because I'm a fool. 
Um, an idiot. And people, I'm an idiot. I'm a chump. Um, I don't, I don't go back on my views, but it's just not something we need to have an argument about on social media. And for those people who asked if there'd be a war for idiots episode on that, the second amendment in the U S is not close enough to our theme on the show of war and conflict. Uh, it's a civil law related to civil possessions of military correction of firearms. Mm. Some, some might consider military, but they're not, it's not actually a topic about war. So, um, yep can see how people want to talk about it. We're also not the guys to talk about it. There are some uh, some other podcasts that talk about gun control. So please talk about that. So uh, yeah, a bit of a controversial uh, COVID time for me. A little bit of a controversial one. But look, I like I like how everyone is giving us ideas. We are all for ideas. So throw them up. Um, and you know, some things I think that we have some value to add into. Um, but the things that Mick talked about, uh, we certainly do not at this point in time. We're going to stay well away from it. We're going to observe it. We're going to read. We're going to think deeply about it. And maybe one day in the, in the future, future um we'll address it but now is not that time but no good good public service announcement mick um to get us started off now before we get get this season before we get to talk about uh this movie we just want to throw a bit of love to one of our sponsors good to go gear g to g Now, as I always say, Good To Go Gear is an Australian veteran-owned business that has been supporting customers for over a decade. Whether you are into military, camping, adventure, workwear, or first aid, they have got a wide range that is ready to be shipped directly to you. You should go to their catalog at www.goodtogogear.com.au and get the best gear that is G2G. G2G. Actually, see popping up in the YouTube chat right now. Um, I interrupted you, Rich, because I hadn't interrupted you so far in this ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, right. You did wait at least five minutes, um, so that's good. Um, so the best thing about them is they offer a thirty-day, one hundred percent satisfaction guarantee, and they ship both to Australia and the US of A. So they don't like, need to. They don't, they don't need, need to. to. There's no right. way you're going to return this stuff within thirty days. <laughs> no. I'm still wearing their shirts that I bought five years ago. Yeah, literally um, for five years straight. It's disgusting. No, it's um, true. I take them off. I don't wash them. <laughs> so what are you waiting for? Seriously, what are you waiting for? It's a good song. Uh, go, don't play it. Please don't play it, Mickey. You'll get so uh, no, I'm not, I'm not putting anything on no this. More, no more. Copyright. So what are you waiting left. for? Go and check out Good To Go Gear. That's G2G gear. Gear that is truly good to go. Now, a couple of things. One, Mick is wearing the long sleeve. I believe it's called the Alpha uh, Gear uh, Long Sleeve Blue T-shirt. I, think hey, he received- I, just call, I just call it the good shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it, is, um, so it I, is good to go. I wore that shirt for a six-kilometer run the other day around the beautiful lake here in Canberra. Yep. It was perfect. I was felt like I wasn't wearing any, like I felt like I wasn't wearing something heavy, but it was protecting me from the sun. It was excellent for exercise. I, I would highly recommend it. And tonight I'm just going to quickly stand up um, and display something. Tonight you- I'm wearing the good to go utility belt. Um, these utility belts, uh, I had one uh, a long time ago um, and uh, I lost it and Good to go gear sent me another one. And I love these things. I love bushwalking. When I go bushwalking, especially for long ones, I like to hang things off my belt. I'm a bit strange. I hang a knife and I hang this weird little tomahawk thing. Probably um, probably too much information. But anyway, it is. This is when you go for a bushwalk. That's like hiking, ladies and gents. This is not yeah. when Richie just goes for a walk in people to the shop. No, 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 no. When I go camping and, and stuff like that. You won't see walking through your bushes in your front lawn with a, no, 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 with a tomahawk. No, no, no. I'm not that it's legit. It's legit. So look, uh, a good to go utility belt is certainly something I would highly recommend. Uh, and I wear with 
all my pets. I love it. Um, so check it out. It is certainly G2G. All right. We're going to talk about this movie, uh, Danger Close, a movie about Australians' uh, participation in Vietnam. Let's read a couple of quick summaries. Mick, um, yep. are you able to zoom in and read that summary from IMDb? I'm my eyes, man. Uh, the IMDb one? I can. Wait. Radio voice coming up. In August 1966, in a Vietnamese rubber plantation called Long Tan, 108 young and inexperienced Australian and New Zealand soldiers are fighting for their lives against 2,500 North Vietnamese and Viet Cong soldiers. All right. A good quick summary from IMDb. And if you look it up on Wikipedia, they say, Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan is a 2009 Australian war film about the Battle of Long Tan during the Vietnam War. It is directed by Kriv Stenders and stars Travis Fimmel. So to start off with the Battle of Long Tan itself, the battle, right, before the movie uh, came along, for Australian audiences, it's a pretty important action um, for, for us, for, for us in Australia. Um, the sacrifice, uh, the grittiness of it, the memory of it, and its part in the Vietnam War. Uh, it's not a battle that people have not heard of. Uh, it is a battle that was pretty important. So a lot of pressure on the makers of this film to really get it right. Um, and for our American listeners, you know, th- this is for us, there's many battles like this. There's Gallipoli, there's Capiong, there's Maryang Sang. There, there's, there's, there's a lot where we're, where we're retreating. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> there's, there's, there's the great tactical withdrawal. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, the rats at Tobruk, it doesn't matter. It, not whether or not you win, it's just whether or not you're there and played the game. It, you know, it, look, it's the words long tan within Australia. It is a story about Australians beating the odd, facing an enemy with grit, determination, and the Aussie spirit. And it doesn't matter if we win or lost in the battle. It doesn't matter whether we retreat. It doesn't matter if it was a strategic sort of blunder. It was, it was, it was lower than that because I think it sort of represents where Australia's place in the world you know and ultimately and a defensive action right like uh when people say winning or losing people go you know they withdraw what they actually did was you know they blunted an assault no, no yeah yeah well that's yeah they defend, exactly they right. defended. you know it was it was a it was a patrol forwards but it was the, the, the thing about posture, right the, the thing about these movies the thing about Australia's role is the movies really represent Australia's role in the world. And this is the reason why we love them. Australia sees itself as part of a bigger world. And we, we, we fully acknowledge that we're not a huge part of the world. We are quite a small part of the world, but we always see ourselves as small against the odds, but we're always punching above our weight. And that's what all these stories have in common. It's about Aussies trying to do their best against the odds and not doing terribly. And that's something that we're proud of. So for the makers, the makers of this movie, it was really important that they got that story right because it's a very, these two words, long tan, really important um, to Australia, especially the military uh, members of Australia and the memories of, you know, those uh, Vietnam vets that continue to live on today, especially that were involved in this conflict. Um, so it tells the movie tells this story, right? And, and the movie, well, before we go into the movie, let's talk about some of the context and some of the background, which, which is what I love about doing these movie reviews. I get to just nerd out really hard yeah, uh, with everyone in the movie and, and the, the context behind it. So uh, before we talk about it, let's talk about some of the context in which this movie exists. And it all starts with a man 
called Martin Walsh. Now, Walsh is an Australian actor, and he actually served in the Army Reserves for a period of time. And there's a bit of homage that you can tell. I didn't realize at the time, but at the very start of uh, this movie, you see a commando beret. Well, uh, Martin Martin Walsh, as well as Henry Smith, who we'll talk about later, were, were commandos and served well, in one commando one regiment. Commando bloody beret on the... Yes, that's right. Well, Henry Smith, yeah, was a commando in it. So, um, so that's why I was there. And in an interview, um, he tells about a, a dream that he had in 2004. So this is 16 years ago. He had this dream. I'll read this out. Um, so Walsh first committed to make, to making the more, sorry, the movie Walsh first committed to making the morning he awoke with the searing memory of a dream in which he'd had received an award for his imaginary film and immediately handed it to major Harry Smith, the man who commanded the troops in the field during Australia's most famous and fiercely fought battle of the Vietnam war. And this is him quoting, I'm not religious. I'm not spiritual or anything like that says Walsh, but it was so vivid and so intense that I just thought, well, if I don't get up off my ass and tell the story, nobody else will. That was 2004. And Walsh had known about Long Tan since reading a book on it while in the Army Reserves, but his dream had sparked, uh, by, his dreams were sparked by the imminent publication of a new account by a couple of veterans on the battle in which 18 Australians, most of them just 19 or 20 years old, lost their lives. I thought, this is him quoting again, why still has no one told this story? So that was back in 2004 when he decided that he wanted to tell this story. Um, and in 2006, he co-wrote and co-produced a documentary, which you can find for free uh, on uh, Foxtel, if you have Foxtel here in Australia, uh, called The Battle Long Tan, which is a, a really, really good documentary and good account about this battle. And it's um, narrated by Sam Worthington. So this is a man who produced this movie, who has had a very long, long relationship yeah. with the production of this story. And, you know, it sort of personifies the relationship that we have had as Australia with this story as well. And it's, yeah, it's quite, it's quite and surprising. Even, even Harry Smith's um, uh, continued fight. Um, and I know there's a lot of division over Harry Smith's uh, long time battle, but even last year when I was, when I was working in, um, in um, headquarters in, in public affairs, um, I think it was either last year or maybe a year or two before um, Harry Smith was able to get further recognition for his soldiers and some of the awards upgraded. Um, he's been fighting for that since pretty much they came out the back of the M113s. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and, and we will cover some of that controversy um, towards the end. So this guy, Martin Walsh, uh, would eventually go on to be the producer of the 2009 production that we're going to talk about, Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan. And this movie is not a big movie, mate. This movie is, had a $25 million budget, uh, which is really not, not that much at all. Less for than a budget. It's slightly less than a budget. <laughs> um, but for a, a war movie especially, where a lot of it is all about the effects and all about the kids. No, it, it, is, it is not a very big budget at all. And they shot it in Australia um, near the Gold Coast. And we'll cover a little bit about where they shot it. I was going to say, um, they, um, it, a little later on. But, a lot like the Gold Coast hinterland. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because it was, okay. <laughs> um, so look, we wanted to make a special note about the production of this movie because one of our sponsors that we'll go into uh, detail a little bit later, Extra Specialist Group, they were, they were the biggest supporter of this movie through the provision of uh, reservists, through the provision of extras and through the provision of advice um, for the military aspects of this movie. So Extra Specialist Group uh, really had a lot to do with it. And, mm -hmm. and in 
fact, in Southeast Queensland, the veteran community in uh, completely were so engaged in this movie from acting in it, from being extras to the advice, um, the shooting densities of veteran community in Australia. That's right. That's right. Um, and you know, there, there, there was no, it wasn't lost on anyone that the shooting of danger close was within a two hour drive of where the sixth battalion, the battalion that fought in the battle of long tan was Mm. located. So all of these veterans and in fact the vehicles used to shoot the movie of danger close was from the sixth battalion. So it was this really, really, really great, um, thing for veterans for current serving members to get a part of this production so it it was huge Um, and in fact for me that was that was some of my favorite parts of the movie was when I got to see people I knew in the movie and I was screaming I know that guy I know that guy you know and one of them got a yeah yeah yeah. and one of them got a speaking role I was so happy um, to see some of the the veterans that I know um, you know that served uh, in in the army being a part of this movie it was really worth mentioning Um, I know for a fact because I helped um our team um, helped pass do the paperwork. Um, yep. Six battalion soldiers, and I'm pretty sure that's one of your old battalions, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I was, I was an FO not for Delta Company. I was an FO for Alpha Company. Um, yep. So a little bit. You know, I spent a year uh, working with Six Battalion. Loved them. Um, but um, some of the soldiers from the Six Battalion, current soldiers, were um, given um, free tickets to the film. In fact, they came to the red carpet premiere. Yeah. Like, yeah. and, and not, not, you know, it wasn't, and I don't know who the CEO was at the time. Actually, I do know who the CEO was at the time. Uh, good mate of ours, JB. Um, but it wasn't, oh, the CEO can come along. It was, give us some diggers. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, great, great sort of sentiment, I thought. You know, yeah. young 19, 20-year-old soldiers, just like those who were portrayed in the war. Yeah, it, 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 it was, a, it's, a, it's such a part of the history of Australia, the, the Australian military. And look, I've had the pleasure of serving in 6R in Delta Company, um, you know, and I went overseas with it. And one of the highlights, absolute highlights, and I didn't want to talk about this, but you, you prompted it, but and I think it's worthy. One of the highlights was when we came back from uh, a war zone, um, the soldiers got their medals presented to them by veterans of Long Tan. So here are Delta Company members from 1966 presenting you young men in 2006, your medals from service overseas. It was just re- something really, really cool about that. Um, but, you know, it, it, and I just wanted to highlight how important uh, it, it is a part of our history. Now, the movie is directed by a gentleman called Criv Stenders, who has... A pretty cool name, Criv. I, I don't know the background of that name, but uh, I love it. Um, Who's that? Criv, Criv Stenders. K R I V. Criv Stenders. Now he is an oh, accomplished Kyle. You know, Kyle's a rubbish name, so he probably changed it. Criv. Criv's a cool name. Um, have you been to Criv's Crib? It's pretty cool. I have. Um, now he's an accomplished Australian director, screenwriter, and producer, and he's best known for his movie Red Dog, uh, which That's came cool. out in 2011, which I have not seen. Uh, you um, know what I haven't seen? Because I've seen Harley and Me. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. I don't watch movies with. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just so in I don't, case they I don't, die. Uh, yeah, I'm not into it. Dog, not if into dogs it. don't die, I'm going to cry. So I don't. <laughs> um, but again, if you read about uh, this director Chris Stender's uh, journey with this movie, it is also a journey um, that that's a long time. As a director, he was involved in this project for nine years. Okay, which which is a very long time to be involved with a project. Um, I read an interview with Criv that highlighted that he stumbled across a letter in 1995. Okay, from a producer. So the letter was from 1995. It was from a over it or 
Well, it was just there. It was just out in the street. No, no. He, he found it when he was going through um, stuff in the movie. But it was a it was a letter he came across in 1995 from the the producer asking if Russell Crowe was available to shoot the movie back in 1995. Um, so it had been in the books to be made for quite a long time. And he accounts that during the shooting, um, at one stage, whilst he was driving to the set, he got a call from the accountant and said, hey, it's payday for everyone who's shooting the movie tomorrow. I've just checked the account. We've got $20. Uh, we're not going to be able to pay everyone. So th- this is one of those little Aussie battler stories where they weren't sure if they were going to make it, which if you didn't read that, you wouldn't get it from this movie because I, I think the movie is, 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 I don't want to give away you know, what we're going to rate it, but I really enjoyed it. And it, it didn't seem like a low budget movie by any means. So it's amazing that these people could pull off um, such an amazing feat. And I've got a quote um, for him. And in an interview, he said, war movies, he says, are always a tough sell. But an Australian war movie about the Vietnam War, the problems just get multiplied. Yeah. And to tell the story properly, it had to have all the bells and whistles. And that means money and the cast and a perfect storm of elements. So um, it was a uh, an amazing uh, feat to put all this together by both producer and director yeah, but of course will. for those people that know and have seen the movie you would know of course from an acting perspective the or main model. draw card or modeling it was a calvin klein model yes the main draw card of the film is travis Fimmel, who plays major harry smith now that dude that dude is dreamy, man. I'm just going to say it. He is a dreamy, dreamy <laughs> Mate, I can't, watch, uh, I can't watch season one of uh, Vikings because I get confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as Mick said, he is best known for the portrayal of Ragnar Lothbrook in the series Viking, uh, Vikings. Um, and if you read all the interviews um, about him, uh, in fact, if you read all the interviews uh, from him, from the producer, from the director, they all have they all have a real common theme, which really surprised me. And I read a lot of interviews with all of them. Um, the first theme is that they're very humbled by the production. You know, they're out in the sticks. They're in Australia. You know, Travis talks about how much he loves shooting in Australia, but he can't get work in Australia because yeah, I mean, he, he did World of Warcraft. He had to go into a different dimension to do that one. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about World of Warcraft. I haven't seen it. He's it's really good. It's really good, right? It's really good. I bet it's really good. He's he's like a cleaned up Ragnar. Like he's just like a polite Ragnar. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's okay, but it's one of those movies where strength is CGI. Yeah, right. right. Um, so, it, you know, I'm sure if you're a Warcraft fan, yeah, much like what we've found with this film, like they got, you love it or you hate it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really hard to sit on the middle road. I was in the middle road, so I stopped watching it. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, look, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt him. He's a, he no. was a Calvin Klein model. Um, but yeah, they, they, they all speak about how this is an incredibly humbling and humble production. Um, but the most important thing is that they talk about how important this production was, you know, imp- important for so, so many reasons. And, and we sort of touched on them from a military uh, memory perspective of how important it was to the both director, producer, uh, and also to Travis uh, Fimmel, which he talks about as well. Uh, they talk about how amazing it was to work with veterans of the Battle of Long Tan, as well yeah. as current serving members of the Army, the Defence Force, and current uh, veterans as well, not just from Vietnam, but from all the conflicts. Um, and the thing I love about, about this movie and the thing I love about reading interviews about these gentlemen is there is a real respect 
There's a real respect for the project. There's a real respect for the battle. And there's a real respect that they wanted to tell the story. And this is, this was quite important part for me. I mean, and, and I didn't read into the interviews or anything until after I watched the movie, I wanted to go in clean. They wanted to really show their respect to the story. They wanted to tell a story, right? They wanted to tell it objectively without bias, without glorification, without huge dramatization. They just wanted to get the story right. They wanted to get out there. And, and to be quite honest, I think they did it. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Now, Mick, uh, to put you on the spot, and you may know this from a sci- scientific perspective. Can you, can you throw your phone away? It's like talking with my wife. Reading, I'm, I'm promoting people. Just throw the phone no, away. I'm not talking phone. to your wife. Throw the phone away. Mind you, um, you do need milk. Pop, okay, I know, I know, I know, I need milk. Okay, pop quiz. Yes. Season one, season one. This is an actual question. Uh, season one, out of all of our, out of all of our episodes in season one, which one was the most downloaded? Can you remember? Uh, yes. Just give me a chance to think. About no, don't type anything in. Not allowed to type anything in. Was it uh, the one about old matey the medic who saved a heap of people? No, it was not. It's. I mean, it's it's kind of given away with what we're talking about today. Oh, is it? Okay, yes. just having a think about it. Um, the Idiots in the Vietnam War? That's exactly right. I didn't realize this until we, uh, yeah, we got a couple... we covered the Vietnam War. Right, right. So, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of updates from um, the people that put our podcast out there into the world. Yeah, we also wet. get bills from them too, I'd like. And we got a lot of bills from them as well. So um, thank you to our sponsors for helping us with that. Uh, but our biggest download episode uh, was that of the Vietnam War uh, that we did in season one. Um, and this movie is obviously all about the Vietnam War. So it opens up with Vietnam 1966. Um, and Vietnam in 1966, I think, is a really difficult place for a lot of people to contextualize because Vietnam was quite a long war and and Australia's role was quite complex and varying in that period of time. Um, Because often the Vietnam war is only measured in the American participation of it. But I think it's worthwhile sort of looking at it beyond that uh, because you start to find some interesting things. And when we talk about the context of Vietnam war and especially the context of Vietnam 1966, what I want to do is rewind the clock to Vietnam 1946. The reason why I want to do this is because that was 20 years prior to this conflict. The reason why I want to do this is because one of the main draw cards or one of the main um, totems that they kind of hold up in this movie is that the average age of all the men in Delta Company, 6R, that fought in the Battle of Long Tan, the average age was 20. Um, the majority of them were conscripts. So it's quite, I think it's, it, it was quite... Uh, telling when I did this contrast of how did the Vietnam war sort of form in the last 20 years when these men were just born and as they were raised, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually went and fought there. All this had happened concurrently. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, we have people serving in the middle East and, Af- uh, and central Asia, like Iraq and Afghanistan right now that were born after September 11th. They've only known. It's crazy. Long crazy. Time. Crazy, right? Like, it's um, crazy. And it's the same for these kids, right? So they, you know, the French are fighting uh, the, Viet, um, the Viet Cong or Viet Minh, Viet Minh in, uh, in, in what was Indochina or Vietnam in the, you know, the late 40s and the 50s. Um, you're right. These guys would have just known. Well, they might not have even known about it, right? They might not have even come because information wasn't as global um, 
or as rapidly global, I suppose. So, yeah. and, and, and surprisingly, you know, we'll go through it now, but the 20 years prior to the Battle of Long Tan, so, so things happen in this that, that, that we still feel that it goes off today, which, which you know, all history is connected. And, uh, and we're about to prove that point uh, right now. So let's start with 1946. In 1946, Ho Chi Minh rejects a French proposal granting Vietnam limited self-government. And the Viet Minh, begin a guerrilla war against the French. So 20 years ago, Vietnam is occupied by French forces. So the veterans that these uh, men are going to fight against have not only been fighting for a while, but they've been fighting multiple nations over that same ground for a very long time, something worth thinking about. And then in 1949, on a world scale, the Soviet Union explodes its first atom bomb in a remote area in Kazakhstan, marking a tense turning point in the Cold War with the United States. Huge. From the, the, a world perspective, uh, the victory in Berlin at the end of World War II to finally uh, the Soviet Union becoming a, an atomic state um, and then the pressures of the Cold War commencing. Pretty significant. Yeah, state. I just get images of like spaceships and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we could have been, you know. That's where we could have been. That's where we could have been. Uh, also, also in 1949, following a civil war, Chinese communist leader uh, Mao Zedong declares the creation of the People's Republic of China. So some pretty significant things happening around the world right now. In 1950, the People's Republic of China and the Soviet Union formally recognized the Communist Democratic Republic of Vietnam and both begin to supply economic and military aid to communist resistant fighters within the country. And much like every insurgency that is ever studied by amateurs like us, uh, much like any asymmetric battle or whatever you want to call it out there, you assume it's a superpower versus a bunch of ragtags that are just out there with any sort of farm weapons that they can find. Um, not, not, not so much the case. And in this instance in Vietnam, uh, we have the North Vietnamese supported by the superpowers of China and the Soviet Union. And, and you know, a, lot, a, point. a lot of people forget also that, you know, the, the Vietnam, Vietnam conflict had the NVA, which was a regular army. Exactly. Well. Like I think pop culture is guilty for that. A lot of the time, exactly. they're just making people sort of lose sight of the fact that, and, and the, you know, in this movie's, portrays it perfectly right you only see two Viet Cong I think in the entire film yeah exactly and they're doing um, casualty casualty withdrawals um no spoilers but and the the Vietnamese win there's a spoiler for you so 1950 the United States identifying the Viet Minh as a communist threat steps up military assistance to France for their operations against the Viet Minh. So that's a very interesting concept there where the French are actually fighting in Vietnam and the Americans are supporting them. Yeah, because the French owned Vietnam before. I know, I know, I know. And that's why, that's why Vietnamese bakeries are amazing, right? Amazing, absolutely. Amazing. Absolutely. So in 1954, in a speech, U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower says the fall of French Indochina to communists would create a, quote, domino effect in Southeast Asia. This so-called domino theory guides US thinking on Vietnam for the next decade. Right? I know. I know. (laughs) Um, 1959, North Vietnam uh, forces begin to build a supply route through Laos and Cambodia to South Vietnam. This is the last episode of season one because I I deleted by accident the final episode of season one. 
Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, sorry. Um, I, I never mean to interrupt or distract you. And of course not. Um, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, uh, which is what this is talking about, uh, I've heard people qu- quote this as one of the uh, one or, you know, one of many modern military wonders uh, in the 20th century. Uh, was this Ho Chi Minh Trail the ability for North Vietnam to supply that? Uh, it's quite significant. And then speeding on through this, we get to 1964 with the USS Maddox incident, uh, which is. Uh, USS Maddox is allegedly attacked by a North Vietnamese patrol boat in the Gulf of Tonkin, which eventually sparks America's participation in this war. So in a span of 20 years, the lifetime that a lot of the soldiers in Long Tan served, the world has changed so much. It, it has grown, it has shrunk, superpowers have grown, different states have grown, and this conflict in Vietnam has not just commenced, it has continued for the 20 years that these young men had grown up through. So by the time that we hit 1966, and these men are fighting, and they're conscripts, and they're brand new soldiers, they're fighting not just v that are off the street that have just picked up weapons. They're fighting a hardened state that is supported by an insurgency. It is a very, very significant um, sort of landscape for them to be facing. And I just found absolutely fascinating going through the sort of major steps of the 20 years prior to 1966 and seeing what these uh, men in Long Tan had to face. How say you, Mick? I say I'm just making a hilarious joke on the YouTube. Um, and that's how you've got to talk. You can't say YouTube, you've got to say the YouTube. The YouTube, um, yeah. Yeah, look, mate, the lead up to the to the Vietnam War and the, and the way that it was argued, and a lot, you know, domino theory has been criticised quite a lot, um, but this was, you know, this was one of the most significant and hottest parts of the Cold War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's shaped generations' understandings of millet, what's seen as large strategic failure. Um at the moment, interestingly enough, I'm writing a book chapter that uh, draws upon the U.S. involvement in Vietnam, uh, and I'm attaching it to a science fiction um, theme. So, what what we start to see here, uh, ladies and gents who haven't seen it, is the U.S. You know, this is around the time the National Security Council was stood up for the United States. It's around the time they started using like what we would call um, business analytics for their kill metrics. Right. So, no, it wasn't just the battalion commanders, the regiment. Regimental commanders, brigade commanders, corps and division counting how many people are killed. Like all the numbers had to go all the way to the top, right? And Secretary of Defense, National Security Advisor, all those guys would look at it. And then you also had in the US this crazy idea of the um, a special military advisor to the president, started by Kennedy and continued by Johnson, and a um, and then the Joint Chiefs of Staff, right? And you had these these opposing views, and then and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and you know, there's a lot of criticism at the moment of, of that particular position or the person in it, but you know, and their role in it. So it was, it was quite interesting, um, and and it was probably nothing like the Joint Chiefs of Staff meetings we see on Space Force at the moment. But um, the the Australian context was very very different because you know the US flipped and became the lead. Um, and everyone's probably heard of the movie We Were Soldiers once. Um, you know, fantastic film, great film to see it. Um, you know, very, very similar sort of tactical situation for the for the American soldiers in that film than, than this one. Uh, all about trying to extract this time was a regiment, uh, a cavalry regiment, the 7th Cavalry, I'm pretty sure. Um, but different from, from Australia, because as soon as the US, US were leading it, that's why Australia really got involved was because we we'd, we'd shifted towards the US as our main strategic um, benefactor. Yeah. And mate, just a fascinating period. And that's why in the US there's so many movies being made, but also because of society's reaction 
um, once it started coming on television and you see the Tet Offensive in 69. Yeah. I mean, this is all pre that, right? So Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I've got I've got people in my extended family um, on my on my wife's side uh, who were um, section commanders in in the early sixties in, mm. in the uh, in the Australian uh, Army. Uh, I think it was a training team, ATTV, AATTV, I think it was. Um, yeah. yeah, mate, uh, just fascinating sort of conflict because it shaped so much how we think about it that everyone talks about, you know, when, when the Soviets were um, sucked into Afghanistan, oh, this is the Vietnam for the Soviets. Then when yeah, we were exactly. all sucked into Vietnam, oh, into Afghanistan, oh, this is your Vietnam. Like it's, a, it, it's become this simile for, um, for a strategic... Um, for a strategic no-win situation, uh, mate. Just love love films about the Vietnam War, but as you know, mate, I, I very rarely watch war films uh, because yep. I watched so many of them in our undergrad days um, when we were studying film. Um, Dereliction duty—that's exactly what I'm using as a um, as part of my. And Josh knows that because we were talking last week. Stop stealing my ideas, Josh. All right, Richie, you better go because I'm getting really angry. I've got to get some angry typing happening here. All right, so before we uh, start talking about this movie, let me just throw a bit of love to our other sponsor for tonight's show. And we've already mentioned them before, and that is the Extra Specialist Group. Now, since 2017, the Extra Specialists have been connecting Australian veterans to the entertainment industry. Through consultancy, agency, productions, and training, Extra Specialists have been changing the face of television and movies, putting those who have served onto the big screen and into your homes. And as we said, that is what they did for this movie. So they have done a really good job and they continue to do a good job even today. Now they've worked with Marvel, they've worked with Touchstone, Netflix, Stan, so much more. Extra Specialist is the place to go if you want to get into this industry. What's this, so movie? If you, What's this movie? If you want to be in this movie. If you want to be in this movie right now. That's right. Well, you know, we've already lined up the sequel. So if you have extra specialist skills or you want to learn some, then reach out to the extra specialist group and get started now. Go to their website to get started. That's at www.extraspecialist.com. That's www.extraspecialist.com. Mate, we are going to make a sequel, Danger Close 2, Smith's Revenge. <laughs> So, look, you, you, you've highlighted some really good points. Uh, I wanted to talk about really? I just, um, yeah. so, some really good points. And, and Vietnam is, is such an interesting uh, and tragic conflict all at the same time. Um, it's a trap, as you talked about. Um, Australia's commitment in there is, is another worthwhile topic of talking about as well. Um, and I just want to mention Dereliction of Duty. When I talked about the Gulf of Tonkin um, and the USS Maddox, this is the commencement of America's full-pledged commitment to Vietnam. Um, I'd highly recommend reading uh, H.R. McMaster's uh, account of that, that he wrote his doctorate on, Dereliction of Duty, yeah. it's called. He talked about that, that division between the National Security Council it, and the National it, Security Advisor. It blows your mind. It blows your mind. Listeners that don't know, H.R. McMaster, who almost came on the Dead Prussian show, but he's chief of staff was a numbskull and stuffed up the scheduling. Um, but H.R. McMaster then became the national security advisor exactly. the role that he most strongly criticised yep. in that book. Um, and criticised for having a, you know, as the title says, a dereliction of their duty. They didn't tell leadership what they needed to, they told the leadership what they thought they wanted to hear. They didn't tell them or the what, truth. what they wanted. What they want, exactly. You know, exactly. Um, mate, it's, it's amazing that he was put in that role. And you know what? The problem with him taking that role, look, I understand why he did it. And, you know, he was with, uh, with 
you know, particularly troubled administration that's still causing a lot of problems for our US uh, brothers and sisters. But the, um, like he was never, after writing that book, you know, the only way that he could have come out of that job without um, significant criticism was by ending both the wars in the Middle East and Central Asia. Like he had to win Iraq and Afghanistan after right. Yeah. You know, like, well, I mean, I mean, what I mean, they, yeah, let, 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 yeah. I don't want to get into it, um, but it's it, it. There's many things, <laughs> many things that went wrong um, that led to H. R. McMaster um, having to leave. Um, but you're right. There was a lot of pressure because said, "Hey, you're the guy that sort of poked the bear and said how you know this person didn't do it. You are now that person." Um, and, uh, and you know, the jury's out whether he, he actually did what he said he was going to do. Um, Difficult circumstances, man. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to talk about the movie now. And for all of our listeners out there, this is where we give you the official spoiler alert. We're going so to you haven't, the movie now. What the... If you have, what have we been talking about for a long time? I don't know. Most um, but it's way late. But uh, that's good. Um, if you haven't seen the movie... Uh, yeah. I just haven't done the then, soundboard in a while. I just, have to, I just have to. You are in the engine. Oh, oh my god! Done, done. If you haven't seen it, then pause uh, and then come back and listen, or just listen and uh, enjoy what we have to say. But um, here we go. So the movie starts, and you're quickly introduced to the context of this war, very quickly. Vietnam, 1966, as we spoke about before, and you're introduced to the start of what some would say is the long tan conflict. Not when the bullets start to fly out of the rubber plantation. Minutes. We've got 15 minutes. Sorry. But the other stuff that's happening, right? And you quickly meet the men of Delta Company, 6RAR, as they're being mortared at night. And the characters are your normal wide cast in a war movie. You meet the hard-nosed commander. You meet the common conscript. You meet the lazy lieutenant. You meet the, the sort of diligent sergeant. And in my opinion, it's... A- yeah, yeah, the typical Australian soldier, which is a strawberry blonde kid from the country. Yes. Quite yes, lanky. It's, it's all of it. And you're quickly... A little quickly bit of a larrikin. Yeah, yeah, this guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. And, and you know what? It was a very, very classic introduction to who is going to be in a war movie, you know, like any other war movie that you stumble across. And so I, for me, this was a real slow start to the movie. I was like, okay, I get it, I get it. We're meeting all yeah. these right? It felt a bit um, like, it's almost like the actors felt that way too. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, yes, like yes, kind of took a bit like, to, to warm up. And like, you know, I mean, you know, we've run command posts, right? Like you, that shit starts happening. You, you sort of, have specific goals like you know the tea bit where he brings in the tea so i always had this this rule in afghanistan i had this rule in all my cps no no drinks on the table because the number of times someone puts down a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and then knock it over the top of the signalist logbook no good good. so when he put that tea on the table i was just like fuck's sake harry (laughs) get it off (laughs) But, um, but mate, it was like that. You know, the, the warm up. You're like, oh man, I've seen this film. Exactly, exactly. So you get to meet uh, Major Harry Smith. You get to learn about him, and you, and you know, and it even it's a slow start to the concert um, that the men of Delta Company missed out on because they were would eventually go out and patrol and go out to get to the bottom of battle long tan. And with the concert, you get uh, some of that generic great music from the 60s and the 70s that every Vietnam movie hasn't it right but the thing i loved about this was it was like every single vietnam movie i'd seen but it was an australian one and it just felt good you know it's that's my accent that is the australian accent in this iconic vietnam scenery which you don't 
get to see often. Why don't you get to see it often? Because there's only ever been one other Vietnam movie before this. That's an Australian one. And that is, of course, the Australian 1979, The Odd Angry Shot. A classic. I actually thought after watching this film, and I'm going to say my final thought now, uh, and then I'll just leave. Um, I thought finally we, we kind of have a bit of a sequel to The Odd Angry Shot. What you, the thing is, it, it, it is a great movie, right? But there are, there are many genres. Sorry, Vietnam War. Movie. Vietnam War is a genre within a genre, right? There's war movies and then there's Vietnam War movies. Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now, We Were Soldiers. They, they all have a rightful place. They all rate very highly. They're all excellent movies. Um, but it was just so nice that this was that kind of Vietnam era movie, but it sounded Australian. You know what I mean? And, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, it was just we nice to have that, that over it. Like people don't know um, how much we missed that. But, but, but it was a slow start. It was a slow start to the movie, right? Um, and as the mortaring happens, as the concert happens, as the patrol happens, they're piecing together where you know the movie's going and that's the Battle of Long Ten. And it's a bit slow. It's chronological. But if you're like me and you're a bit of a nerd and you kind of know the chronology of what happens and the lead up to it, you're actually really happy. You're like, yes, that's the concert. Yes, that's Patsy. She was singing at the concert. Yes, the yeah. boys missed out on yeah. the concert. You know what I mean? It's, it's, oh, little Patty. Little Patty, and, and, and you're like, okay, okay. You guys are telling the story in the right order. That, that's really important. But I have to say something which is going to be a bit controversial. Um, that's Travis. Yep. Travis, Travis Fimmel. For me, he was a really hard pill to swallow. He was a really hard pill to swallow. And the reason why he was so hard. That's why I thought he was perfect role. for Harry Smith. Really? Oh, the, 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 my, my problem is. I couldn't help but see him as Ragnar. <laughs> I couldn't shake the image from my head. You know what I mean? It's so ingrained. Now, I'd love to hear someone's opinion who has never seen an episode of Vikings. I think it would be absolutely oh, I've seen different. an episode of Vikings. No, who haven't? Who hasn't seen an episode of Vikings? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mate, I heard, actually, I heard some people who didn't like his acting who weren't fans of Vikings. Um, right, but... but, but oh, sorry, hadn't seen Vikings either. But, um, but, but to me, it's the same mannerisms. So when you see him as Ragnar Lothbrok, he, he speaks with weird tone. He speaks with weird diction. His voice goes up and down. And that's kind of cool because it's weird. It's mysterious and all that sort of stuff. And then he does the exact same mannerisms in this. It was just a bit confusing for me. He's uh, a model turned actor. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, and you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I can yeah. also make my voice too widget. Uh, mate, but also I think... Um, I think you know, if you think of old Ragnar and the you know the the episodes before it gets done by um yeah, uh, spoil spoil it yep in Northumbria mate Legend of Ragnar Lothbrok is is over like thirteen hundred years old yeah. not spoil I can click it's not a spoiler um he dies in yeah he, do, well, he dies in all the legends but he doesn't um, die he dies in Vietnam yet yeah, go on but he um he you know the older Ragnar is very Harry Smith. You're right. Like, like he didn't remind me of young Ragnar. It definitely yeah. reminded me a bit of old Ragnar. But also what I liked was like, so um, I don't think I've ever met Harry Smith, but I've heard a lot about people's interactions with him. So I can't comment on what the bloke is like, but I can comment on what people have said the bloke is like. Yeah. And Femel's portrayal sounded like what people had told me Smith was like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So, so I was like, okay, so he is Ragnar, but he's not, he's not, different from what i have been told and you know like yeah. I, some some of my team interviewed harry last year um yeah. 
Yeah, and they came back and told me some very interesting stories. Yeah, yeah okay. Harry is a hard man. Um, yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, well, so he played the hard man. And, you know, Ragnar is a hard man. So, yeah. And look, we should I, stop talking about hard men. <laughs> I, um, look, I, but you get used to it, in my opinion. And by the end of the movie, the, all those feelings were gone. But when I first saw it, I'm like, okay, here we go. How's he going to do it? And I was like, he's the same dude that he's in, <laughs> as he I, uses in Vikings. Do not, watch, well, do not watch Warcraft. Okay. All right. So as we said, Harry Smith's in it. He's played by Travis Fimmel. As we said, the movie, there's a slow start to the movie, um, but there is a... Yeah, it's all being mortared, a slow start to the movie. Well, no, it's slow, man. It's a slow start. And I think because you're building up to, you know, what's going to happen, it's the battle. But, but, But then they do something brilliant, okay? Delta Company is out there. They're in the rubber plantation. Everything goes silent. Everyone is facing out. And you know it's about to start. You know it. There's no doubt in your head. You're like, okay, this is when the Battle of Longtan is officially going to begin. Amazing panning of the camera. There's an extended silence. It, it, it probably went for like 10 seconds, right? But it's, it felt like minutes. I was literally holding my breath. I'm like, here we go, here we go, here we go. I was on the treadmill. I watched it on but the treadmill. Because I was, because I was so, uh, so built up and I had so much anticipation, I was like, okay, when it starts, I'm not going to be surprised. But I have to say- You were backed up and what? I was, I can't remember what I said, but it, when, when the shooting starts, when the official battle starts, I have to say it was overwhelming. It was so impactful. It was so well done. Um, you know, it, it, it reminded me of Saving Private Ryan when the, the ramps first drop on Omaha Beach and everything just starts happening. Just, it, it, just, it just blew me away. I, I felt shocked when that was happening. Um, that's for my swear back before. Um, oh. Mate, yeah, no, you're right. And things like, uh, so for listeners that haven't seen it, um, like what, what you don't see in a lot of movies is how machine gun fire works and where, where it sort of sits in, I suppose, the vertical plane, um, you know, which is, which is pretty much from, from about, you know, torso down. Um, but you've got this pocket, generally, this pocket of space between the ground and the, and, and the, and the top of the rounds, right? Um, they show that perfectly in the film. Yeah. And that, yeah. That's, why, that's why people don't often understand why soldiers get on their guts and stay as low as possible. Yeah. Um, they, and, you know, just, and, and then people pop their heads up. Thanks, just, Sharp. Thanks, Sharpie. They, just did, they did so good for such a humble production, for such a low budget. Now, to put it in context, the Saving, Saving Private Ryan budget in 1998 was $70 million, right? So in 2019, this movie- That was from that $25 million, right? So, so it is a huge, it is different ballpark. So I thought they just did such an amazing job when the battle starts to make you feel like this is what fighting in a Vietnam rubber plantation was like. It was and, dirty, it's and, gritty, and it was tough. And the artillery. Right. So the artillery was... five, really good. 105. Really good. When they followed that round... No, 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 before that, before that. So when they, when they started with, we need artillery, and then they tracked the whole plotting it, yeah, yeah, radioing yeah. it back, going to the CP, CP plotting it, going, and then you follow the round and, and full circle back down again. I, I don't like artillery. I don't like artillery men uh, especially, but that was a beautiful piece of cinema, and it was just great. It was really you, fun you to were see. You talking about hard men before? <laughs> Mate, it is, you know, and for those listeners who uh, might have guessed, um, I'm I'm a gunner. I'm, I'm an artillery guy. And what I like, what I wanted to call the show was the gunner and the grunt. But Richie said no one likes gunners. Yeah, um, and I hate alliteration. Yep. But but um, I loved it. 
what what really annoyed me was seeing the tannoy system they use. Yeah. Because when I was that lieutenant, you know, in the headquarters plotting on the map, yeah. I yeah. used the same system. <laughs> there you go. And it was it was near about forty years later. Um, yeah. There you so, go. Mate, it was like the artillery stuff. What they what they do do is it, do do. <laughs> what they did was they showed um, the, the the chain of information. Um, yep. They showed yep. pretty decent fire discipline. Right, really good. Language of fire control. Um, yep. Mate, just really good. And then the CGI round going through it. I just said, so good. They just do that for every round for the rest it of the was, show. Yeah, it was so good. They, they did such a good job. And again, for such a humble production, they, they captured it so, so well. They didn't portray um, the Australian gun battery in there, 103 battery, but they the Kiwis did the majority Kiwis, of support. And from the Kiwis got a lot of time, air time. Um, so the Kiwis got good air time. And what that did was, oh, actually, I, I never served in 103 battery, so I don't mind them missing out. But also, um, it definitely showed like, the task force was made up of Australian and New Zealand soldiers. Yeah. Which, uh, for people who understand Australia's military history, that tends to be the norm for us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and that's the thing I liked about this story is that every small sort of detail like that, because you're a bit confused. You're like, okay, you know, I, I know about a bit about the army. Why has that CP got a colonel and a brigadier and a lieutenant and someone from New Zealand in there? You know what I mean? Because it's because, mind his own bloody business. Uh, right, it's because it was the Australian task force. It was this specific task force that, you know, it, it was because of the history, but, but the, the, and this is what I loved about this movie. They just told the story. You know what I mean? They didn't, now there was a couple of bits that they took a bit of poetic license about, et cetera, et cetera. But chronologically, they just told the story and little, little things that happen like the the air force pilot of the thing saying i'm the captain of my helicopter i can do what i want and i'm making a decision you know that apparently that happened just little bits and pieces like that i really enjoyed um seeing that and when there was a moment when uh long tan first starts and in the cp they're explaining what's happening with the three platoons with 10 11 and 12 the way they use the pins the way they use the pins right and i was just like this is excellent they are my ops captains could have done that for me Um, a lot of them would have, would have a lot of them would have done a lot less extra time on, on, on duty. You know? Like, but the, it's so good. But the thing is you don't see that in normal war movies because they don't think it's important because I think they're trying to do something else in a normal a normal normal this, war movie. This wasn't a movie about a war. This was a movie about yes, a battle. A battle, that's right. And and, and, and that's, that's what I that was so important that scene where it uh, really was then did that now. Speaking Kel Townsend, John Fellon who um, yeah. said good day on Twitter. He's just said good day on YouTube because I told him I wasn't going to answer him on Twitter. You've got to come on the show if you want to hear about the show, guys. And here he is. Um, so I'll talk about the officers because I said to Richie, I'll take the hit on this one. Uh, and I know a lot of people, so a lot of people who don't like the, the movie say there's historical inaccuracies. Sure, there's always going to be, right? Uh, and and also there's a, the, I was told by someone who actually wasn't in, even in military um, they got to see it at the premiere and they came back and they were, you know, they were a senior public servant. They said, oh, it has too much of a crack at officers. Well, I actually think they portray officers fairly evenly. You have some great officers. You have some officers you don't like and then by the end of it, you're liking them. And then you yeah. have some officers that, um, quite honestly, I don't know any of the gentlemen who were there. So I, I can't make a character assessment of my own on what they were really like. Yep. But you could, you could argue that some of them were character assassinated or that actually might be how they were. So General Townsend yeah. wasn't portrayed in a favourable light. Colonel Townsend. Uh, sorry, yeah, Colonel Townsend. And neither was uh, Brigadier Jackson, right? Neither yeah. of those gents were portrayed in a particularly favourable light. But whether or not that's exactly accurate to the battle isn't that important because, to be honest, um, a lot of the decisions that were made were delayed. So, And that they needed to provide context for the delay in the decisions. 
uh, to support, you know, the, the withdrawal via uh, the armored personnel characters. I was, was going to say M113s, but not everyone knows what they are. So the, the withdrawal through the armored vehicles, all that sort of stuff, those decisions were delayed and they needed to provide context. They had information from how the relationships were. We know the relationships between Smith and his commanders were tense. If you're going to make Smith the hero, because um, he starts off as a bit of an anti-hero, but if you're going to make yep. Smith the hero, he needs to have conflict with someone else. Yep. Those two exactly. people had to be Townsend and Jackson. So I'm not sure how deep the rivalry or the, or the, uh, or the tension was between them in real life, but for the film, it needed that. Yeah, and to answer to answer John's question, you know, what do I think about the portrayal of Townsend? As as Mick's saying, I don't think it was true. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think the portrayal of Henry uh, Harry Smith was true. You know what I mean? But I mean, Harry was, made some it, comments about it as well about it, how it, the portrayal. It, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I don't, I didn't carry a pistol. There was never a depression. You know, these things, these things aren't true. But um, as Mick said, they were important for the movie. And I, and I, you know, based off your question, John, I did a lot of reading about um, Colonel Townsend. Um, you know, he ended up settling down up in Gympie, near where I sort of grew up, and all the great stuff that he went on to do with the rest of his great life. Great Australian town name, though, right, Gympie. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, it's. It, it, I don't think it was a, a a very fair portrayal. If especially would believe if you were his family, you wouldn't think that. If you were his um, family, you'd be you'd be thinking it was a character assassination. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's 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 all we think about it. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll move on from it, there. But it may or may not be accurate. It wasn't favorable. But did the movie need it to drive it? Because all narratives need conflict to maintain and drive the narrative. That was where the conflict was. Um, exactly. In Viet- in a lot of Vietnam movies, what you normally see is the perspective of the of the enemy commander. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't yeah. see that, and I actually, I actually love that oh, they did that. And so here, so you know, so you we had to set up the antihero. So the antihero had to be Townsend and Jackson. We are we are running out of time. I've probably got another forty minutes of stuff I wanted to talk about because I love talking about this stuff. But I was going to talk about Australia's commitment to this. I was going to talk about the ANZUS Treaty. I was going to talk about East Timor, how it ties into it, and we'll get into that. Um, you know, Mick and I have got some dialogues planned that we want to have with with our listeners. Um, but the the thing I love most about this movie is all that's not important. You know what I mean? Because it's not about. It was about the battle, and it was about telling the fight, telling the story, the the, the battle, and and it was, I really it was literally that. about the artillery. And I, yes, yes. And I read one of the, I read one of the, one of the professional reviews and people like, Oh, well, what, what about the story from uh, the North Vietnamese, the VC's perspective? It's like, Hey, it's not about them. This is about, this is about this. And, and I this love battle. it. It was really good. Um, so the final thing on the production, before we talk about uh, the, what we thought about the movie um, was the scenery um, the use of a rubber plantation. Uh, it wasn't a real rubber one, obviously. There, there was not one in Australia, but they just found a forest and, and made it look like one. Now, I've been to a rubber plantation in Vietnam. looks exactly like it. Fascinating how they cut the grooves and, and watch the rubber go down, collect in the bowl. Yeah, um, it, it was it was so it was well done um, and the rain so the rain uh, what, what, you know it didn't seem significant but then I thought the only other and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong the only other Vietnam movie mention of the monsoonal rains that you hear so much about but isn't portrayed that often was in Forrest Gump remember in Forrest Gump he goes and then it started raining and then it just never stopped and they and that that crazy monsoon was really well replicated in this it was almost too fake but i think they did on purpose because apparently no, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's what, what the monsoons right? are like you know it's what i mean kind of like that in some of the places in australia right yeah yeah it just snaps yeah. on and snaps off but it just added to it and i just felt that when you and add in if the odd angry shot 
rain. Yeah. Set your bloody watch by this rain. Yeah, exactly. But so, so I think when you add up the way that they captured the conflict in the rubber plantation, the way they captured the rain, the way they captured uh, the scenery of the rubber plantation, um, some people were like, oh, that's bloody buffalo grass. That's the that's clearly in Queensland. You know, who cares? You know, unless you're a grass expert, whatever. Um, I think when you add it all together for such a humble production, they did such an amazing visual uh, job that built suspense and so, so, so added to the film. So I thought that that was... Um, you're just talking about rain now, man. Let's talk about the film. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. So how did the movie go? All right. If you look it up on Rotten Tomatoes, Danger Close is currently at 71%. It's pretty good. Um, which is pretty good and 70% with the audience. Um, and it's quite good normally when you get the reviews and the audience together, you normally have a pretty good movie that everyone is enjoying. Um, and on IMDb, that's good. Uh, and to put it into context, Saving Private Ryan is 93%, 1917 is 89%, and Black Hawk Down is 76%. Now, um, it's dealing with some pretty iconic American movies there, which is always going to be hard to compare against. Um, so 71 is a, is, you know, it's, it's a pretty bloody good score. And as you said, IMDb, 6.9 out of 10. Um, has it made much money? Well, according to my research, uh, it has not made that much money. Um, thus far, it has made just over $2 million worldwide, but that must be taken into the context of COVID and the fact that no one is allowed to go and watch movies. So, of course, they're not going to make much money uh, from this. Most of their money is most likely going to come from the DVD sales and then the sales of other publications of this movie. Um, so I'm going to talk about what I thought of the movie and what I rated it, Mick, and then I'm going to ask you so you can get yourself ready and not read my notes. Um, but I probably uh, spent the last few days reading about 50 or 60 different reviews for this movie, professional reviews, amateur reviews, and the vast majority uh, of people, uh, overwhelming amount of people thoroughly love this movie. You, you know, they, and they're really, really four out of five, three out of five, 3.8 out of five. Uh, they're all wrong. I'll tell you what the real score is. But, okay. right. but they really enjoyed the movie. Um, and uh, you had your odd person, as I said, that sort of complained about this, complaining about that. But no, look, thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Um, so what, what do I think? I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I think I've made that point quite clear. It was a great telling of a famous story that's near and dear to our hearts within Australia and, and especially mine um, uh, w w with this whole story. Now, it had its faults. Okay, and there's no doubt about that whatsoever. It certainly had its fault, but I don't think the fault detracted from the movie. I, I just like, okay, well, that, 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 was that wasn't that than enjoyable. Yes, in, in many ways. It was well short, shot. The fighting was exhilarating and, and quite literally my breath was taken away whilst I was watching it. Now, to be fair, the characters, I don't think were well developed. Um, I think there were some cheap attempts at developing some sort of uh, storyline, um, but you know, it wasn't a story about the individuals. It was a story about the battle and the collective people in the battle. Um, and if you listen to our review of 1917, uh, there's four things I want from a war movie. I want a good story. I want to feel part of the story. I want it to be historically accurate and I want to remember it. And yeah. for me, Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan did all of this. It told the story. It didn't tell a story. It told the story of the Battle of Long Tan exactly. chronologically. Exactly what they said they were going to do. Exactly what they said they were going to do. Don't always do that in a film. 
they made me feel a part of it. I literally, literally felt a part. Like I felt like I was watching this thing and I was a part a of it. Literally. I, felt, a part of it. I literally, the literally, be literally, all of the literallys, I felt like I was a part of it, right? Um, it, was, it was accurate enough for me. Uh, look, chronologically, this happened. There might've been a couple of percentages here or there that didn't happen that way. But I, I know more about the Battle of Longtan after having seen the movie than I did before, which is, is historically accurate enough for you know, a Hollywood movie. Um, and finally... Um, it's a battle I know more about because I watched it, you know what I mean? And I remembered it and I, and I keep thinking about it and, and I won't forget what I saw. So when you add all this together, I have, you know, we've done a few movie reviews now. I've never done this before. I'm giving it a five out of five stars. It's very I, rare I think, for it, guys. You got to, I, he also studied film at uni. So it's I very it's rare great. to I, do that. I really think it's great. And I think that every single military institute out there, when you're teaching small group and basic tactics, you need to use this movie. You need to use this movie as your arousal, ex- explain, explaining platoon tactics, explaining the use of artillery, all that sort of stuff. I loved it. Five out of five. Mick, how say you? I think, uh, well, you, you, your score was wrong, but I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good to see you be uh, up there, right? It's good to see you be up there on the, on the levels. Um, so I talked about Richie. We, you know, we studied film in our undergrad days. My, my particular focus on film was war films and how leadership's portrayed in films. So, yep. um, so these days I don't watch war films because I just I got sick of it, right? Um, watching this, I loved how they, they, they focused on a battle and they were still able to bring out a little bit of the evolution in the leader. Now, I don't think that Harry Smith particularly changed his leadership style or anything throughout the battle, but what happened was his men and the audience actually got to see who he was. Um, now, whether or not it's accurate, I actually don't care. I don't care. If I want to know the exact official history of the Battle of Long Tan, I will read the Australian official history of Vietnam. Exactly. I'll read more books on Long Tan. I've done that before as well. I have read up on Long Tan. I knew the history. Um, some of the bits that I knew to be accurate, I was like, oh, cool. They got that in there. That's awesome. Um, you know, the building up the characters, you know, they didn't build up the character of, uh, they didn't mention, I don't think that Kirby, the, uh, the Sergeant Major, he, he, he didn't live uh, past his tour. He died in Vietnam. Uh, I think it was six months to a year later. I think um, he's, you know, he blew up that, um, that weird machine gun new trail on it. Um, that was a really nice historical um, detail. He got, he got a um, gallantry award for that, I think. Um, but there's one moment in the film where the fire discipline in, you know, the lang- language of fire control, uh, there's a, there's a mistake. And, uh, and also the FO tripping over while he's calling in fire. Well, like Maury Stanley, amazing dude, this actor, yep. you know, everyone knows forward observers are bulletproof, trip proof <laughs> and never trip over in the scrub. So for me, only 4.5 um, because of ridiculous. those two things. One ridiculous. ridiculous portrayal of like Maury Stanley, trees would move out of the way for someone like Maury Stanley. <laughs> ridiculous. And, and the fight, you know, fire discipline, you never get that shit wrong. If it's in a film or if it's in the field, you get that wrong, people die. <laughs> but apart from that, 4.5. Uh, great film. Uh, very great film. All right. So summing up, go out and watch this movie. Okay. Go out and watch it. Learn more about. I already have. Learn more about the Battle of Long Ten and the veterans that fought there. Um, and we didn't even talk about the controversy of the uh, the awards taking so long. Um, we will talk about that at another time. A uh, bit of a bit of a 
bit of a teaser for something that we have uh, in the pipeline. So that conversation is to be continued. So there you have it. Uh, that is our take on this little Aussie gem of a movie uh, called Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan. Now, Mick, before we wrap up, have you got any final words, my friend? Uh, yellow. <laughs> That's one word. Yep. Uh, orange. And I don't mean the color. <laughs> hey, mate, final, final words. Just go through this film. It's just a bloody ripper of a film. Uh, it makes you proud to be Australian. I hey, love it. I probably should do some work here. Do you want me to talk about, uh, about our socials? Talk about our socials. All right. Talk about socials. Okay. So we are on Facebook. So follow us on Facebook. Just search for War for Idiots. Uh, you can like our page. You can chat with us on there. You can harass us. If anyone harasses you back, that's Richie using the official account. Now, you can uh, find us on three different Twitter pages. You can find me on 12, but you only need three for this show. Uh, you can find Richie at Richie underscore triple T. That's because his last name has more syllables than uh, all of my name. Uh, and you can find me yeah, at Mick underscore Cook. I think I've got two syllables, Mick Cook. Great name. Uh, easy, mate. And for someone from Tasmania, really easy to say and really easy to learn. So it's pretty good. Uh, yep. So I'm, I'm at Mick underscore Cook. And we are, of course, on the War for Idiots, which is where you'll find us posting links to our fantastic sponsors, some of whom were in the film. So uh, yeah, that is at right. War Numeral for Idiots. Find us on there. We're also on the YouTube. Go to YouTube, type in War for Idiots. You will find us. Come hang out with us on Friday nights. If you are an audio listener, it's great that you're downloading the podcast. Don't ever stop. But if you are bored and you're in Australia, Friday nights, if you're in the US and the UK, Friday morning or Thursday evening, late, very late Thursday evening. Um, if you're in Kazakhstan, I'm not sure. But, but we still want you to watch. Um, come chat with us. It's been fantastic. I just want to talk to some of the people who have followed us tonight. We've had, oh, we'll go all the way up. We've had Josh and Phil, as always. Phil's got an essay due. Uh, good luck. We've got Luke from Lens of History. We've got Sabre Wolf. Uh, John, good mate, uh, jumped on Twitter and said to us, you know, let's chat about this. And then he jumped on YouTube to chat to us. That's what we like. If you've got questions for us, jump and ask us during the show because we can't hide from your questions. On Twitter, we probably can. So that's our socials. Love to see you coming to us. Uh, also, check out our merchandise. You can get to the store via thedeadprussian.com. That's it, ladies and gents. Um, hop on, leave a review, share this episode, keep the support coming. Uh, to be quite honest, you people are the reason why we do this. Um, quite obviously, I don't like to talk to Mick, but I do it because of you. you definitely not the reason we do this. Um, I do because I like my voice. Um, Rich, Rich does this because he thinks he's a hero for having to interact with me. But it's not that painful. We do it from about 100 kilometers away from each other. Until next time, uh, this is Rich. And this is Mick. And remember that we may be idiots, but so are you. War for Idiots is a TDP production. All opinions expressed by individuals on the podcast are those of the individual and not necessarily representative of any other organisation. The music used during Wolf Idiots is Fireworks by Jazar and is used under an attribution share alike 3.0 international licence.